Well, we're continuing a series called uh, A Growing Desire for God. And um, those who've, it, being holiday time, it's, it's fascinating. We have a, I call it the Christian diaspora. In uh, September, about a third of every church, they go to the Simpson Desert or Warren Bungle, I don't know where they go, they're just gone. But from every other church, they come here. And so the, the, the levels sort of stay the same. So if you're, if you're part of the Christian diaspora that's come here this week, Welcome. Our church is better than your church, but never mind. You'll come back. <laughs> We've been preaching into a series called The Growing Desire, and we have been talking a lot about uh, the imperative of Christians and the church. You know, we're not a church if we're not on mission. We're just not. But we're also not a church if we don't care for people. And so our mantra since the beginning has been filling hearts and fueling mission. And really all we're talking about over the recent months has been putting a few extra legs and, and intention onto our going on mission uh, part of the equation. But what you do out there is only going to be as strong as what happens to you in here. And so it's vital that we fill hearts, that we fulfill as a church what those who've come here have come looking for, a good local church that, that is healthy, that cares for people, that, that doesn't lay judgment and, and more commands on you, but fills your heart to make space where God can fill your heart. And so the overflow of that is to go out on mission. And so, in, in a, just a, a pause moment but before we start our second service, I just wanted to pastorally just take a few weeks just to refill our hearts, to recenter ourselves on what really matters most. Jesus said it he, in response to a legal question. They said, what's the most important thing to do? You know, love God, love people. Um, but what's the engine room of that? How does that? That just becomes another command for us. Oh, I'm not doing really good at loving God and loving people this week. That's because we need to address the filling hearts issue. What's going on inside the old ticker? And so this is number one issue is, is for a Christian, it's that we're only going to be as strong in the outworking of our faith as we are strong in our desire for God. Those things are completely linked together. And so uh, we're spending a number of weeks on this, and I've got the world's best acronym of D-E-S-I-R-E, and no one has come anywhere near guessing the whole lot. But today, we're going to start on the second one, the second one. Last week it was D, D was devotion. And, uh, if you were here, and who was here last week? Can I get a show of three and a half people here? So you missed, you missed, oh, it's okay. You missed the um, illustration I was making about final season. Aussie Rules footy, I tried watching 10 minutes of Aussie Rules footy. I've never watched a whole game in my entire life. I've tried probably 400 times to watch a game of AFL. I've just never quite been able to get involved. I'm a, str a strategist. I love things to make sense. And it's quite a chaotic game. So I admire the sportsmanship, in, admire the muscles. These guys are specimens, aren't they? Um, but if you, if you were here last week, you'll notice I got right off track. And that was the whole point of the message. And I didn't even realise the prophetic nature. But one of our more prophetic people reminded me this week as he dwelled on how I seemed to completely lose it last week as I was talking about finals footy. And I'm talking about the games and the passion and the clothes and the shorts and the arms and the biceps. And I got right off track in my message. And I thought, I don't know where I've gone. It was very embarrassing. I don't do that. I've got one eye on what I'm sort of saying, I've got my heart prepared, and I've got one ear on what the Holy Spirit's saying, and I found myself off track, which is just so unlike me, completely. I didn't know where it was going, but that was actually the point. You start enjoying something, like footy or the finals, you become enamoured with it, you get focused on it, and where do you find yourself? Nowhere. Nowhere. And that's the whole point. Where, where has our devotion gone? Where, where do we go with that whole 
idea of where my desire is fueled from and fed from. And so we started with Psalm 27.4 where King David, who could have been the most distracted man in humanity of his day, said, one thing have I desired of God, one thing, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So the primary principle behind this message is one of Jesus' most succinct words in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. And this principle leads to our next dynamic, the, the E, which looks like it's ears, it's close, it's enlightenment. Ears to hear, enlightenment. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because there comes a moment where God, if you pursue him, God reveals himself. And the daunting thing about pursuing God is that you're going to find him one day. Then what? Because our desire for God grows as we see him. And when we behold him as he truly is, we become who we truly are. So let's just unpack that for a moment. When we see God as he truly is, we actually become who we truly are or who we're meant to be. Let's consider a passage for a moment in 2 Corinthians 3. Paul is talking to Gentiles, people who weren't raised in the legal uh, Hebrew system of law. And he's, and he's talking about that through the lens of that because that's what he's an expert in. And the irony is that the expert of the law, the Hebrew of Hebrews, is being sent to the Gentiles who know nothing about it. And he's explaining, he's giving a bit of a nod to the, uh, to the story of Moses and the temple and, and Moses with a, had a veil over his head for a while there as he, as he was in the Lord's presence and the glory of the Lord came upon him and he, and he just glowed. And so he put a veil over his head or a paper bag or something over his head to hide it from disappearing or, or from people seeing the glory and, and going, why is it going? All this, it was just some complex weird triggering thing that he had going on. But he's, Paul's harking back to that. And he says, we all, y'all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. And following on from that is that beautiful passage where he says, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But let's just unpack this, this verse for a moment. Unveiled faces. He says there's a barrier between humanity and God and most of humanity will feel that because there's a yearning in every heart for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 says eternity is woven into each human heart, whether they recognise God or not. It says it's woven in there. They understand there's eternity. That's why they feel enamoured to create religions, to find a way into this eternity that they know must exist because it's sown in there, not realising for most of us that God is the one who took the effort to make that bridge for us. But we're aware that there's this, there's this barrier that's there and some of us put um, judgment and sin around that, some other religions put all sorts of things around that and so we'll, we'll rationale this away and we'll find reasons why for our culture, why there's this place between us and God and hopefully find a solution to it. But the, but the Hebrew mindset was very much that there, there was sin as a barrier, a humanity went its own way, wanted to be God in that sense and judge what's right and wrong and so on and so this sin thing had to be uh, rectified by God. So Paul's harking back to that. There's a barrier between us and God and they would frame it through the law. But he was saying this still applies today, even post-Jesus. He said Jesus tore that veil, but the veil still remains, he was saying. 
There's a barrier between humanity and God if they don't, or if they're not able to turn to Jesus. And it's a, it's a barrier based on law. It's a barrier based on performance. Or it's a mindset that says, this, this gap between myself and this Lord of the universe, it's my fault. There's something not right. My, my performance levels aren't good enough. There's shame. I'm inadequate. He's good. I'm bad. There, there's no way we can bridge this gap. And the religion that we create around that, and often we'll square this away in our head by giving our heart to Christ, we recognize the cross and so on, and yet in our religious spirits, this motor is still burning away there, and we, we form a, a mindset of life that's not based on devotion, it's based on performance still. And Paul's saying the veil still remains. If we still base our life, understanding this relationship with me and God is about how well I'm doing today, that can work sort of against you in a couple of ways because it can, it can be the reason why you reduce your Christian life back to the minimum standard. It says, what's the least that I have to do to keep him happy? What's the least I have to do to make sure I get in there one day to heaven? What's the minimum requirements of Christianity? It's a law-based mindset. It says things like, what's the sin that I would commit that makes me lose my salvation? We start reading Hebrews 6 and, and start, oh, I can do something that, that, or the the unforgivable sin, all these, and we start going, what is it? Have I gone too close? Because it's a, it, there's a veil there, there's a performance minded, mindset that says, I can do something so bad that God won't forgive me for that. It's judgment-based. And he says, Paul is saying, whenever we do that, this veil remains because we're not seeing God as he truly is through that mindset. But we have unveiled faces, he says. Anyone who turns to the Lord, as he goes on in this passage, the veil is removed. There's this unhindered view where we see things as they really are, where I'm not shamed by my sin in the Lord's presence, which seems so counterintuitive that we see God and his purity and his awesomeness and I don't come into his presence aware of my sin because that price has been paid. The veil has been removed. I'm undistorted in my view and I'm welcomed into his presence through relationship. So those of us with unveiled faces, it says, get to contemplate his glory which means we can sit there for a moment with this veil gone that I, he's taken care of all of it and I get, I get to be with him always and I can dwell on that and that governs our thinking. It governs our logic. It governs our view of who we are. So we contemplate his glory through this unveiled face that we have that can see him as he is. And through that, we're transformed. You can't dwell for long on the truth of who God is and who we are without it altering who you are, without it altering what you're prepared to live for. It changes things for you. And in our distracted world, this is the loss, I think, that we have. Instant devotions, you know, or instant everything. Everything's coming at us all the time, and we don't allow ourselves with unveiled faces just to contemplate for a moment the immenseness of God. Because when we do, it alters what matters to us, it alters what we love, it alters what we're going to do that day, it alters how we interact with each other, it alters everything. It grows us and it morphs us and it makes us into, it's saying, transformed into his image because we become who we behold. We become who we behold. Who do you worship? Kardashians on Instagram? We become who we behold. You know, is it, is it Barbie? Is it 
Ken? Is it Aussie Rules footballers? What, the, what are you beholding? What am I beholding? Because we're going to instantly work towards becoming that because that's what we admire and in some ways worship. But if we unveil our heart, contemplate God, we become who we behold, transformed into his likeness. So this whole thing about enlightenment is when your eyes or your heart become unveiled to truth. And this can work out in a number of ways. Sometimes they're small. It can happen incrementally in any day, any moment, any hour of the week. Right here today, I'm going to be praying in a moment and that, that God would reveal himself to us in a new way. But it can come through reading his word. That happens to me a lot. You just read God's word and he, and he reveals himself. He reveals my identity to me. He speaks through his word. He never stops doing that. Sometimes it's just by being confronted by, with the reality that you need to surrender your life. We gave a story at the beginning of the, of the series where this person was just aware, I just, because, of, because of who God is, I just need to surrender all this worry that I have and just give it over and just see what God can do in my life. Sometimes it's just that simple awareness that God is real. He is who he says he is. He's never let us down. He's never given us a reason to doubt. Why would I doubt? Why would I give myself the option to do that? And it changes things. When we do that, it changes your life. Do we want our life to be changed? In Scripture, we see it. Simon, when he finally realized Jesus is Lord, when the fish jumped in his net on the right side of the boat, suddenly, life changed. He is God. That changes everything. Saul, when he got knocked off his high horse, he was going one way, now his whole life trajectory changes as he sees the reality of who this Christ was that he persecuted. I love Isaiah 6 where the prophet, you know, he's lost his good friend, the king, Isaiah 6, and he's just saying, I'm, he was in that mourning process and God just reveals himself. He goes, oh, I'm undone. This is God. And the context for those guys was, I am, I'm sinful, I'm sinful. I'm a man of unclean lips, he said. And, and God, the angel comes and puts a, a burning coal and cleanses him. He goes, oh unveiled face, I can be with God and see God, and it changed his life. He was commissioned from that point on. But it's not just for Bible characters, it's for you, it's for me to be transformed. And we don't just need to be transformed once, this is every day, because we become more like him. There's a number in the fellowship here, as there are in most, but we've heard many hundreds of stories, thousands over the years, of people who had this experience where Particularly those, and I was mindful this week as I was preparing, of just so many who have lived a life where they've been intimidated or they've been criticised, devalued, might be in a marriage relationship, it could be in any a work situation, you know, and at best they feel um, objectified as an object to someone, at worst they feel abused. And, and I've just seen so many of these people realise as they, with unveiled faces, see God as he truly is, he's... He's not like that father that abused me. He's not like this person at work that, that slanders me all the time. He's not like that. He's good. He loves me. He's always there. And it changes who I am. And it changes what matters to me anymore. That God's not like their abuser. They're not worthless. And from that point, they're over, able to overcome in the midst of the situation, whether it changes or not. Sometimes it changes, not always. But they become victorious because they see God as he truly is. See, the truth will set you free. Only the truth will set you free. The truth of who God is, the truth of who you are, the truth of all those people that try to ruin your life. It's nothing. Don't worry about that stuff. But this change that comes from this enlightenment, it often comes at a cost. It's like, knowing this truth now, I can't unsee that, I can't unvalue that. 
Now I've got to change things about my life. But it can, train, it can change you from tolerating mistreatment. That comes at a cost for the person who's mistreating you. It can change your grip on sin. It can change all sorts of things about your life. But what are these veils? Let's have a look at them. It goes on. Even to this day when Moses has read, a veil covers their hearts, those who are seeing life through this performance mind. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I wonder what our barriers are to God, if any. You may not have any, bless your soul. But for the rest of us, there's, there's filters through which we look. There are things that distort the way we see God and therefore our experience of him. So what I'd like to do as I've been praying this week is have us activate this. Have the Holy Spirit talk. There's only so much talking I can do, but when the Holy Spirit talks to you, life's changed. So can you indulge me in, and we'll just close our eyes for a moment and I'll just ask the Lord to speak with us as we close our eyes. Father, we just pray in this space, this holy space where your people have come. And Lord, we picture it like the Old Testament temple where people would gather in the different courts. And in the end, there was a court of the Gentiles and there was a court of the Hebrews and the court of everybody else, it seemed. But then there was this thing called the holy place. And I want us all now just to imagine we're in this holy place. And it's a place where you go through and you've, you've already, the sacrifice for your sin has already been made at the brazen altar. Your sins are forgiven. You can try raising them to God, but he won't remember. He just says, come, come into my presence. And so we enter through into this place called the holy place. And in that place, it's a, it's a closed off room no one can see in. It's where you can uh, wash your hands. It's where you have the altar of incense of your prayers. And it's, it's that beautiful part of our Christian life that is the day to day. We're doing the stuff. We're going to work, and, but we're praying and we're praying for our kids and all the other things we pray for. It's doing the Christian life. It's living in the holy place. He's with you all the time. What are you doing in that holy place? How's it working out? It's where you do stuff, where you repent, where you, where you read the word. But you probably know there's more to your Christian experience. You've heard about it. Now and again, you might have even tasted it. Those moments where God himself touches your soul and you recenter again on the power of God. That's what's behind the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. Behind that veil, God lives. There's the Ark of the Covenant there with the law and the, and the tablets and the angels, the seraphim above the, the tabernacle there. The holy place, you haven't been in there for the longest time. But you know in there is the fullness of God's presence. It's his freedom, communion with God. Let's just pause for a moment. Just imagine yourself before that veil. God is pleased with you, but you're standing in front of the veil and behind that veil is the holy place, the holy of holies. God is behind the veil. Do you wanna go in? Do you wanna go in? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Do you hesitate? Why? Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're still feeling a bit of shame. You're not sure you want to commit to God at that level. That's all too much for you. Is that it? Call it out. I'm not sure you want to go there. Not all of us are ready to go into the Holy of Holies. 
Hebrews 4.16 says we can approach through that veil, through that curtain with boldness. We're free to go. Are you feeling bold? Look at that veil and ask God now, is anything holding me back from you? Is there anything holding me back? You'll sense it, you'll feel it, he'll tell you. Now you can choose to lay it down or not. You can choose, but you've got to lay it down if you want to go into the Holy of Holies. If you've done that, go in, go in, go into the Lord's presence. What do you feel there? Love, glory, holiness, power. I hope you feel acceptance. Lord, show us the truth. Holy Spirit, show us the truth, who you are, who I am. God, I want to contemplate your glory. You've said it's mine. It's mine to enjoy. And now ask him, Lord, how do you see me? What do you think? When you look at me. Show us the truth, Lord. Now, if you're brave, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God the Father, is there something you want me to do? Is there anything you want me to be doing? Father, I pray that you would imprint on our soul whatever experience it is that's come from you here today. Burn it into our memory. Burn it into our spirit. How do you see me? What do you want me to do? Amen. Something always happens when we really want to know God, when we want to know him, not just know about him, know him in a place like that. We want to protect that space. When you have a sense of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, as Paul talks about it in Romans, you want to defend it. You want to value that. It becomes everything to you. It's that pearl of great price. You'd sell anything to get that, to know that presence of this eternal, powerful God. John says it this way. We know that we have come to know him. That's know in the Greek, gnosko sense. Not know about, it's to know him. I've met him. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. That's an interesting statement. Now, the, the religious man in me would look at that and go, how do I prove I know God? I better behave myself. It's not what it's saying. We know that you've come to know him because you'll keep his commands. It just, it overflows. Because you value this thing so much, you value this relationship. Remember for a moment the most intimate time you've had with God in your life, that season where he's just done so much you're so close. You would do anything to protect that. And the idea of sin becomes abhorrent, doesn't it? It's like, I don't want to do that. That's going to threaten this. I don't want to damage him. I wouldn't damage that relationship. Because once that value is there, it's, nothing comes close. John goes on. But if anyone, obeys the word, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And this is why I'd rather introduce you to God than tell you what to do with your life. 
because he'll take care of all that. He'll tell you what you need to be doing. Do's and don'ts are just a punitive and in the context of his grandness are trivial. First prize is to know God. That leads to the next point and John makes it clear. Something happens when we know God. I can't help but keep his command. I can't help but do what he's telling me to do. I, I can't help but live a life that aligns myself with what is true and what is right. What else could I possibly do? And so the next word in the acronym is S for stepping out. If I've been enlightened, if, I, if I've seen him as he is, if I've seen me as I truly am, I can't help but obey and step out because normally his presence in my life will come with that next question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And sometimes that's a morality thing. You know, sometimes it's a step out in faith. I wonder what God told you to do. It's between you and him. But all I would say is do it immediately. Do it today. Take the first step today. If he's told you, do it. Because to hear is to obey. When the Bible talks about hearing, there's, there's hearing and then there's understanding. Understanding is the obedient side to that. And so there is no difference that you can't pull those two apart in Scripture, the way it talks about hearing. There's two words in Scripture. There's a Hebrew and a Greek. Thank you, Sandy Bickerton, who gave me the, the rundown from the commentaries this week. The, um, the Hebrew word is Shema, the Hebrew Shema from Hebrews um, uh, Deuteronomy 8. Uh, and then in Greek, it's akuo, which means to hear, but not only to... Not only, not to just hear it and have it bounce off, to hear and understand and to have a, a, a connection with obedience that comes with that. Hearing and heeding, hearing and heeding are linked when you read about that in Scripture. If it says, do you hear the word? It means to hear, to take it in and to obey it. So Luke 6.46, where Jesus is talking about it, it says, with that sort of context, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? How can you hear and not understand? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, they're like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. In other words, you haven't understood what he's saying until, it's, until you've obeyed it. There's the enlightenment and then there's the stepping out. But nothing quite deadens your soul or deadens your walk with God like a preparedness to compromise and not do what you know he's told us to do. I remember clearly as I was rolling this message that the day I came to Christ, it was it was a big day for me, you know, with the background that I'd had, which was completely non-Christian, and all that went with that. And I remember the, the, the day I, got, I became a Christian, someone revealed the gospel to me, I went, I'm in for this. I was challenged about elements of my lifestyle, not by anyone but God himself. I just knew there was all this stuff. I was into some music and some stuff, and I'd invested heavily into all this sort of stuff. I had an album collection full of heavy metal that took me to places that that Black Sabbath wouldn't dare to go, you know. I, I, that was what I was raised in. But I just knew that had to go. I can't have this pearl of great price and go back to a house that has all that stuff in it. So I went, drove 80 k's back to my house from the place where I'd heard the gospel. And I, back then we had 44-gallon drums and I loaded this thing up twice with the contraband of sin in my life. And it stunk as I burnt it. <laughs> burnt the whole lot. Albums, magazines, the whole bit. I read a verse a couple of weeks later that, that said a, a man is worthy of his, of his, of his um, pay if he's working. And it was a living Bible translation, but I got the message. It basically said, you've got to, if you're getting paid for something, you've got to work hard for it, make it worth it. You know? And I realized I was in a job that I wasn't working too hard, so I quit next day. Just quit. 
didn't think about what was next. I just thought, you can't hear and not obey. No one taught me and told me to do that. It was just, that's the response the Spirit must be having in our life. But when we spend years and years in Christian circles, somehow we, we, we dilute that down and we, we feel like that, those radical choices aren't normal for us anymore. But maybe God's calling you to a radical choice today. Get rid of that stuff out of your life. If you're addicted to porn, get off it and get yourself accountable to it. If you're flirting with your secretary, stop it. We've got to make our life holy because we value this relationship with God. There's no room for compromise in that. Stepping out, it's going to change the way we do things. We're going to stick out one way or the other. And for some here, I know God's been speaking to you for a while. You've been enlightening you about some stuff and, and you, you know what to do and you know what needs to change. But I've found with the Lord, he won't show us in the step that's after that because sometimes we go, well, if I do that, what happens next? No. Do the first step before he shows you what's next. It's like you've got to step over the horizon before you see what's beyond the horizon. If we're not faithful with the small first step, how are we going to be faithful with the big next step? And so it just seems to work that way. And so, I wonder if God's spoken to you today. I wonder if he's showed you who you are, who he is, and whether there's a radical step. I don't know what that would be. It's not my business to prescribe that. But we need God to show us. We need God to work. Let's pray as we close. Father, Lord, I want to release any sense of judgment because there's no sense of judgment and condemnation with your word. Lord, I just pray a release of that off anyone's shoulders. But Lord, I pray that the... The promise of abundant life would be what's front and center in our lives. You want to set us free. As we go, Lord, show us who you really are. And Lord, show us what we need to do. And Lord, I pray for each person you give them the faith to obey. It's not about man's strength. It's about your strength. You never call us to do something where you don't provide all that we need to do it. And so, Father, give us the faith to believe that in the name of Jesus. And today there's someone here who's had trouble uh, conceiving. You may not be infertile. There's just been a challenge. There's just been a trouble and, and some words of knowledge have come through and our prayer team would love to be praying with you about that. And we've seen huge breakthroughs in those areas. Please come and receive prayer for that. There's people here with all sorts of needs and, and Holy Spirit, you promise to meet every single need in our life. Lord, give us the faith to believe that and to act in response. We love you, Lord. We give you our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, guys.